starting off tonight, I want to I want to talk a little bit about, um, and I like this is not gonna it's gonna feel dissimilar to where I'm headed with our text, but I think you'll get it here in a minute. I want to talk about if you're getting ready to do some kind of a job. I work with my hands a lot. Um, like to you know I, I'll do small stuff with our cars, or I like to work on small engines, or I work on our house. If if there's something that you need to do, you got to have the right tool to do it. Okay, so if, if you're going to hang a picture, you need a, a, a hammer and you need a nail and maybe a tape measure or a level or something like that. You need those tools. You're going to change a tire on your car. You need a lug wrench. Uh, you need a jack. Those two things, important. And, and the tool matters. So if I'm going to do a job and I say, hey, could you run and get me a tool? Your next question is going to be, like, what? What tool do you need? Because you bring me back a screwdriver to change my tire and I'm going to be like, no, not that tool. And you say, well, you need, said you needed a tool. Well, tools by definition, are specifically designed for one very specific purpose. You with me? Screwdriver doesn't do the same as a scissors. So you need to cut something out, and again, I come to you with a screwdriver, you're like, are you insane? That's not what I need. This tool does this particular thing. And, I might add, if you have a tool that no longer does the thing that the tool is designed for, it's garbage. It's legit garbage. You can't use it anymore. If you have a mower that doesn't mow, what else are you going to use it for? Just to set stuff on in your garage? <laughs> you know, it's like, matter of fact, there's in the tech world, uh, for those of you who, you know, like uh, work on phones and other stuff, if you run like a software update on your phone and it completely locks up the device where it cannot be accessed again, what do we call that? Brick. Let's we'll say you'll brick your phone. You can brick certain electronic devices because you just, and you know why they call it that? Because that's what it's worth at that point. It's serious, that's why they call it that. You bricked your phone, it's the, it has the same value as a phone that a brick does at that point. It's worthless at that point. You don't, you're not gonna keep a computer that doesn't compute, all right? It's in the name. It's these certain tools that we have are designed for certain things. So what good is a tool like a battery, for example. In this world, maybe the battery is the best example. If you have a battery that will no longer take a charge at all, you turn your phone on, it just turns back off again. It's nothing more worthless in the world than that. Useless tools. So I was kind of inspired. Uh, randomly, I saw, uh, th this has been a long time ago, but I saw this woman um, had developed some artwork where she was playing with this idea, what it meant to take something that was designed for a specific purpose, but then make it useless at that purpose. Okay, the, the artist's name is uh, Katerina Comprani. She's from Athens. And she created this entire gallery at, at theuncomfortable.com. So if you want to see more of this, you're welcome to. But here are some of her tools. Okay, this is one. So you see, what she has done in this is taken something that you know, something every day that you know how to use, but by its form, she's made it. I mean, think about for a second trying to use this fork to eat, or this one, for that matter. Okay? She's just taken these things and tweaked them in a way where you would be absolutely miserable trying to accomplish something. Watering can. I only pulled five from her gallery, but they're pretty awesome. <laughs> Process, doesn't it mess with your brain a little bit for her to take something incredibly useful and make it useless? Last one, okay? Can you feel that in your socks? Trying to wear that out in the rain? taking something useful and making it completely useless. So here's my question for you tonight. If we measure things by their usefulness, if we measure things by their usefulness, then it means when they will no longer fulfill that role, they're garbage. Okay, we have a word for this, actually. It's utilitarian. For those of you who get geeky about language, it's 
something that has its value based on its contribution or its usefulness. Right, so when we're talking about lawnmowers or when we're talking about screwdrivers or lug wrenches, that's all fine and good, and that works really well. What's difficult, though, is that sometimes we take this and we apply this to people. That's, that's the jump I want to make with you right now. What does it mean for us to take that whole conversation about how we, how we look at objects and tools and their usefulness? Robbie started this conversation last week. I want to take it a step forward because it's where our text goes tonight. What happens when we begin to treat people in this way, where we value them based on their usefulness to us or to others. Boy, our text, it speaks straight to the heart of that. You've heard this phrase, I think, probably in our language where we talk about objectifying. You heard that word? How we objectify other people? This is exactly what we're talking about here. When we begin, we make this leap in our brains where we decide that we are going to treat somebody as if they are an object instead of being a person. The place that we use that word the most often is within sexuality, right? We talk about men objectifying women or women objectifying men. This space where we begin to treat somebody as an object. I don't think that they do it anymore. Years ago, there was a fraternity here in town um, that, that uh, during move-in week, they put a big sign up in their yard that said, dads, drop your daughters off here. All right? I knew so many guys that just wanted to like barrel their truck straight into that frat house, okay? Why? Why are they putting the sign there? You know why they're putting the sign there. They're advertising the space where it's like, hey, your daughter is a sex object to me. That's the way that I see her. And they wanted to send this, whatever, for whatever reason, they wanted that message to be public, so they would put that sign out there. You guys, some of us are better at being subtle at that, but those messages are all over the place all over the place, especially in sexuality. Why do we talk about pornography? I mean, like, you may not hear it a lot here on the stage, but as a ministry, we talk about pornography a lot. Why? Because it's a machine built to do that, to dehumanize someone, to take that part of your brain. I mean, that, that word, objectivize, is literally what it means. I'm, I'm going to turn that person, I'm going to dehumanize them, turn them into an object for my pleasure. They're not a person anymore, they're an object. They're a tool for me to use for a very specific need. And if I can't use them for that tool, I can throw them away. Oh, man, you guys, Jesus has some things to say about this. I'm not just talking about sexuality. This is so much bigger than sexuality, but that's the, that's the easy one for us to look at because that's the space where we use that phrase to objectify another person. Oh, it's so detrimental. So here's what I want you to see before we get to the text. When we begin to see people as objects, they become one of two things to us. They are either a resource for us to exploit or an obstacle to overcome. That's the only thing that they can be. So when I begin to see you no longer as you, no longer as a human being that has been created by God in his image, unique and special to him, when I stop seeing you as that and start seeing you as a, a number in a chair or a person who's worth X amount of dollars or somebody who has these gifts and talents, that, like, you become something to be exploited, a resource. Or if you won't be exploited, you're an obstacle that I have to get past. Man, you guys, ugly things happen when we begin to dehumanize other people and objectify them. So, why are we talking about all of this? Because Jesus talked about all of this. 
If, there's a, if, that, if all of that that I just said out loud, which is uncomfortable and weird, right? Because that thought of us treating people as objects is ugly. But if that's the poison, Jesus has got the antidote right here in John. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So this is, we've been talking about the I am statements of Jesus, right? God wants us to know who he is. He wants us to understand his character. So a couple weeks ago, my wife talked about, I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Last week, or two weeks ago, sorry, that was three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, uh, Phil talked about, I am the light of the world. And tonight, we're at this space where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. What does that mean for us? Why does he want to talk about this? Well, you guys, the sheep shepherd, when I started doing a little homework on this, I was a little bit blown away by how many sheep shepherd illustrations there are in Scripture. It runs like the whole length of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Let me just give you a sampling. Psalm 100, verse 3, we are the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way. Jeremiah 3, 15, God says, I'll give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And Psalm 23, I have an image for it here. Psalm 23, which is like the granddaddy of all shepherding passages. Just, just hear this, you guys. Let it wash over you. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, leads me beside peaceful streams, renews my strength, guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I won't be afraid, for you're close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me and they comfort me. You guys, that's just like a tiny sampling all over Scripture. God talks about himself as the shepherd and us as his sheep. Why does this matter so much to him? And question number two, it gets a little bit weird for us to talk about shepherd and sheep. Because like any of you grow up here, as like your parents are professional shepherds? Truly shepherds or farmer? Okay, so I have one. Anybody else? I thought there might be two or three, but we only have one. So what's difficult is, you guys, the metaphor is mostly lost on us because none of you are like, oh, yeah, sheep, I get it. Like, that's just like my childhood. No, it's not. It's not at all like your childhood. But into pretty much every culture up until this one, most people would have understood exactly what Jesus was trying to drive home with this metaphor. And it doesn't take us long. I asked Nora, my eight-year-old daughter, I asked her before I came tonight, I said, hey, I'm going to be talking tonight on sheep and shepherds. Um, If you were talking about sheep and shepherds tonight, what would you tell people? Like, what do you know about it? And she goes, um... Sheep are stinky, and shepherds are stinky. And I was like, That's actually, there's actually some spiritual truth in that, that, to go right along with each other. But it's like, there's a lot of things that are natural. I said, well, what do shepherds do? And she knew it. She's like, well, they, 
They, and she's, she, without knowing it, she's quoting Psalm 23, where she's like, well, the shepherd helps them know where to eat and where to find water and guides them, and if one of them is sick um, or hurt, the shepherd would take care of them. I was like, yeah, you get it. I mean, it's a piece of this where you don't have to have grown up shepherding to understand, but it's not where your brain is natively at, or mine either, because it's a little bit outside of our experience. So, mostly, what a shepherd would do, you guys, is hang out with sheep. <laughs> is, that like state, is that too obvious? Think about that for a second. Not all that exciting. They're eating. Cool. I guess I'll kill time. No phone. Okay. I picture David, the great shepherd, sitting and just practicing with his sling, destroying a tree. Because what else are you going to do? The sheep are still eating. Okay? Just hanging out. Oh, they, need, they finished the grass there. I need to lead them to a different place to graze. That's the excitement of the afternoon. Except sometimes it is exciting. Every once in a great while, when the wolf comes or the bear comes, things are a little more exciting. And in that moment, the shepherd being there matters. You guys, 23 of the 24 hours of the day might not have even mattered that the shepherd was there, but that one hour matters a lot when the wolf shows up and the shepherd's like, no, I stand between you and my sheep. Modern-day shepherds, because it's still happening. A few of those sheep wander out on the road. The shepherd's like, no. So he has to go out and he has to get them off the road because it's dangerous to them, and they don't understand that in that particular moment. Okay? But most of shepherding is pretty simple. You're with them. You take care of them. You value them. You make sure they're not in harm's way. And you guide them to where they need to go. Now, the other thing, so Psalm 23, when, you, when it says that God helps the sheep rest in the right meadows, make sure they have water and fresh grass, that he stays close and offers protection. But then there's this, the verse in there where David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's a weird phrase because the staff that you see, that you've, you know, every stereotypical shepherd like picture that you've seen, it's called a shepherd's crook, okay? And, and uh, they look, it's like a giant oversized cane. Why? Well, part of it's a walking stick. These guys are walking a lot. So it was a legitimate tool. And they still use one like this to this day, okay? But it does a couple of other things. Part of it is when a, a, a sheep's going a direction that you don't particularly like, it shouldn't be going that direction, it's wandering too close to something, you can kind of like hit it in the side with the bottom of that rod. And so it's a corrective tool where you can be like, nope, 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 and then you're kind of like knocking that sheep back a different direction, and the sheep's just like, okay, 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 until it's moving a different direction. The top of it's shaped like that, though, to actually grab the neck of the sheep. You, you can hook it around the neck of that sheep and really redirect it. Okay? If that thing's going forward off the edge of a cliff, boom, around the neck it goes, pulling at the sheep back. Not a comfortable experience, I'm sure, for the sheep, but better than the alternative. So isn't it interesting that David, in that moment, says, hey, God, your rod and that staff, they're actually a comfort to me. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. I know that if I'm about to go off a cliff, that the God of the universe is wrapping my neck with that thing and being like, nope, 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 that's not the direction that we're going. I know if I'm wandering down a path that isn't good for me, God's like, boom, boom, boom. No, 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 no. Why? Because he's a good shepherd, because he cares for us. If he's a bad shepherd, then that doesn't work. That doesn't mean anything to me. His rod and his staff wouldn't be a comfort to me. They'd be oppressive to me. But when the shepherd is a good shepherd, it's not oppressive. 
its care, and its love, and its concern. Now, that leads us to a really important shepherding question. Man, you guys, tonight, you were like, I'm going to learn about some sheep. That's where we're headed tonight, okay? What's the difference, because this is the core of the text that we were in, what's the difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd? Because that seems to make all the difference in the world here. What's the difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd, if we're going to understand Jesus and who he is? Well, Jesus uses a specific character in this to help us understand what a bad shepherd is, and he uses the phrase hired hand. Now, here's what that means. You ever worked a job with somebody who could not possibly care less about their work? Yeah? Some, anybody working right now? Somebody like that <laughs> who hopefully isn't in the room as you're raising your hand? Like, it's frustrating to work with someone who will cut every corner they can cut, who when the boss walks out of the room, they behave completely differently, who will show up late if they can, leave early if they can, call in sick if they can, put more work on you if they can, who doesn't care about the business at all. Like, you know, the customer comes up and is like, I will never shop here again. And, you know, everybody's like, okay, we don't care. <laughs> like, you, like you're not... You're not costing, I'm making minimum wage, you are not costing me any money by saying me that. It's a pleasure to have you leave the store forever. That's what you're feeling in that moment. Hired hand doesn't care at all whether the business sinks or swims as long as their paycheck gets cashed. That's it. That's it. It's not my problem to the hired hand. And so Jesus draws this distinction because he says, he who's a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep. He leaves the sheep and flees, not my problem, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You're going to pay me minimum wage? I'll give you minimum me, right? Like, that's it, and the sheep aren't my problem. It's not worth standing up to a wolf for that, the hired hand would say, and Jesus says, that's not who I am. I'm a good shepherd. I'll go to bat for one of those sheep with the wolf if I have to. Remember what Jesus said about the 99? He said he would leave the 99 and go chase one lost sheep. He'd go out on an adventure for one lost sheep if that's what it took. That's how he described himself, as the good shepherd that way. The idea here is, you guys, when the crap hits the fan, the real shepherd stays, puts himself in between the harm and the sheep. And the hired hand says, I'm not paid enough for that. If I can go back to where we started in the beginning... The hired hand does not personalize this work. The hired hand sees those sheep either as a resource or an obstacle. One of the two. They have no value to him. And Jesus isn't really talking about sheep, you guys, in case you didn't figure this out. This is just a metaphor to talk about us. And he doesn't depersonalize you or me. He doesn't see us as resources or obstacles. He sees us as his children. He cares for us that way. Matter of fact, if there are two just right on the surface takeaways, I mean, like, I, these are almost so obvious that I feel guilty saying them out loud because I'm supposed to, like, you know, find really cool and, <laughs> like, uh, subtle things in the text, right? No. No, these, these are just giant rocks sitting right on the surface here. One of them is this. God cares so deeply for us that he's willing to put himself in harm's way, in between the harm, the wolf, and us to take the hit for us. That's how much God loves 
us. The end of this that isn't highlighted right now, look what Jesus says. He says, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. John 15, 13, Jesus will go on to say it. There is no greater love than this, that someone would lay their life down for another, that one person would lay their life down for another. And look what he's saying here in John 10. I will lay my life down for you. I will bring my love to the fullest extent because that's the way that I feel about you. You are not a resource to me. You are not an, an object to me. You're my child. I care for you. That's, the, that's one of them. That's the big thing. But the second takeaway is this. This is where the metaphor gets a little more messy. Because that, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, but that one would lay their life down for their friend. John 15, 12, the verse before that, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you should love each other. So in other words, you guys, you ain't just sheep, you're shepherds. In the metaphor that God's giving us, you are not just sheep, you're also shepherds. He commands us, that. He says, I'm the good shepherd, but I want you to imitate that and I want you to shepherd each other. There's a responsibility that he puts on your plate, on your lap, on mine, where he says, you know what? As I'm a good shepherd, you're going to be a good shepherd. Again, all over scripture, we see this laid out. God tells us that he expects us to love each other in the same way that he's loved us, not as hired hands, but as good shepherds, not objectifying people, not turning them into resources or obstacles, but truly loving them, loving you enough that if there were harm coming your way, I would step between it. I would take the hit. That's what Jesus asks of me and you. Do you remember, um, oh, it's John 21, when Peter, uh, who has betrayed Jesus, Jesus was murdered, Jesus raises from the dead, and then John 21 is like the, the best, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, where Jesus and Peter have breakfast on the beach together. Risen, resurrected Jesus and ashamed, embarrassed Peter are reunited. And do you remember what Jesus does? It's so cool. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. And Jesus gives him three chances to be reinstated. And this is the question he asks him. He says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. And then he asks him again, Peter, you love me? He says, yeah. Jesus, I love you. Feed my sheep. And then a third time. Peter, do you love me? And G er, <laughs> Peter's a little embarrassed that he's being asked a third time. He says, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. And what does Jesus say again a third time? Feed my sheep. This is the thing that he's saying to Peter over and over again. You can't miss this lesson. This is the big part of you establishing the New Testament church. You're going to build it all on this. If you say you love me, feed my sheep. I've often wondered, because there's a, there's a passage in 1 Peter 5, which was written like a couple decades later probably in Peter's life, but he's the one writing it. And I've wondered if that moment with Jesus, where Jesus is like, hey, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, and, and Peter's like, I will, I will, I will, I will. If that's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4, he's writing to you and me. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Actually, I think I have this one up here. Yeah. 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Man, you guys, we aren't just sheep, we're also shepherds. God's given us this command to do it. But with that comes a warning, you guys, because this is God's most prized possession. You are, and I am. And so when he entrusts us to each other and says, you be a shepherd, there's responsibility that comes along with that. Ezekiel 34 has been, for a long time, one of the passages that freaks me out the most. Because Ezekiel was a prophet to the southern kingdom. It was written like 600 B.C. Okay, Ezekiel's a prophet to the southern kingdom, and God says, hey, I have a message to the shepherds of Israel. Write it down. (laughs) And it's not a good message. And this is the message that Ezekiel had to bring. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. It keeps going like this, you guys. It's hard. And then a few verses later, God says this, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against the shepherds. And I'll require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I'll rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. You guys, I do not want to stand in front of my father as a shepherd who has abused his sheep entrusted to my care. And make no mistake about it, you aren't just sheep, you're shepherds. You're like, Ben, I don't have any leadership role. I don't, like, I don't have a title, I don't care. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not just a sheep, you're also a shepherd. People have been entrusted in your care. God expects you to humanize them, to treat them like his children, not as objects that are obstacles. I mean, did you hear the language that that, uh, Ezekiel was using there? They were treating the sheep like resources to be plundered for their own benefit. You guys, there are a lot of stories in the church at large right now of people who work in ministry but who apparently have been feeding on sheep. God is not pleased. God is not pleased and won't be mocked that way. He cares so deeply about this. We don't prey on the vulnerable. We stand in the gap between the wolf and the sheep. It's what a good shepherd does. We aren't hired hands. 
you remember our greatest commandment, right? Matthew 22. I come, back to, I come back to this all the time because why wouldn't you? It's our greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So love God is the greatest commandment. And the second commandment is like it, Jesus says. Love your neighbor as yourself. So loving God, Jesus said, and loving people are actually tied together. You can't fulfill the first commandment without the second. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and abuse his sheep. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's inconsistent with the teaching of Jesus. Joe mentioned this in her teaching a few weeks ago. There are 52 one another passages, and I do not have time to preach them tonight, okay? So all I'm going to do is throw this up there. You want to grab this on your phone or whatever else for homework, that just links to a PDF where you have access to all of those references to Scripture. There would be no better way for you to spend your week this week than to get specific with this and read through these Scriptures and be like, God, what it, so what does it mean for me to be a shepherd? These are the one another verses that talk about serving one another, building one another up, bearing with one another in love, all spread, spread throughout the New Testament. This is good homework, you guys. Um, so I'll just, I'll leave that up for a while if you want to grab that. But the idea here is, I want to dare you to live this out this week. None of what I'm saying is controversial tonight. I have have not said anything to this point that's going to get me a weird email from you later this week to be like, I don't think what you said is good, okay? Telling you to love other people is not controversial. I'm not stepping out on a limb by doing that. Here's the thing, though. It's super easy for me to say it. It's super easy for you to hear it. It is so hard for us to do it. I'm only preaching half a sermon tonight. The rest of it you have to live out this week or it just doesn't matter at all. To own other people's problems. I'll talk more about that in a minute because we can do that in an unhealthy way too. But to own other people's problems in the sense where you stand in the gap, where when you see a wolf, you're like, you're going to have to come through me to get to the sheep. That's what it means to be a good shepherd. And God has released that to us, okay? So as you think about what it means to read through these 52 one another verses and to live these out in your workplace or with your roommates or what, like in whatever context that you have in your small groups, how do I really love one another? Um, I want to give you three tools tonight, okay? They're going to be quick. I'm going to go through them pretty quickly here, but I, I want to give you three tools in your toolbox to tell you how to love people in a maybe a more specific way, okay? These sting a little bit more. The first one you have to have is time, you got to have time. You can't shepherd and be unavailable. In other words, I can't be a shepherd to the sheep and only be like, hey, I got you guys from 10 to 10.15 a.m., and I really just need you to graze, and if wolves come, uh, just do your, like, do your best. I'll be back at 10 a.m., okay? That's not the way that shepherding works. And we live in a culture that budgets time not that way. So if I'm running five minutes late to a meeting that I'm headed to and I go by somebody who's broken down on the edge of the road, I don't have time, you guys. I don't have the time to be a shepherd in that moment. I haven't created enough margin in my life to do so. So part of shepherding for us, part of what we have to bake into our lives is time. What is Psalm 23? Do you remember uh, when I read it, what it says about God shepherding? He leads me to pastures, to water. He restores me. He comforts me. He stays with me. All of those things, if you're doing those in the life of another person, require time. Leading them, restoring them, helping bring healing to them. 
Many people I know say they want community, they want friendships, they want vulnerability, but they've scheduled themselves in such a way where they don't have access to all of those things. They can't be shepherded and they can't shepherd because they just don't have availability. So that's number one, time. We have got to create margin to be able to love others well or we won't have the time to do it. The second one is this, an awareness of others' needs. I can't be so self-consumed on what's going on in me and my world that I can't see beyond it. If I can't ask you a question, a single question about how you're doing or pick up on the verbal cues that you're giving me that you're not doing very well, if I'm not spending any time in prayer asking God who around me is hurting right now that I need to reach out to, because the Holy Spirit has a way of, of, of helping you understand that, you guys, of raising your awareness. You realize that text message you got from somebody else, you're like, hey, Actually, that didn't sound like they were doing very well. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, maybe you should send a text. And you text back, hey, I'm thinking about you right now. You doing okay? And they're like, no, I'm really not. And suddenly the gates flood open and welcome to shepherding. Okay, welcome to the Holy Spirit helping you into somebody's life. We need an awareness of what's going on in other people's lives. Jesus said it in Matthew 20, 28, that he didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. And that's the cost for us too. Uh, like, I know that a lot of older generations point at your generation and say, ah, they're so self-consumed. You guys don't buy it, okay? That's been every older, like since I've been alive, that's what every older generation has said about every younger generation so far, okay? When it comes to self-consumed, I promise that's not limited to a generation. I look at mine, I look at the one above me, I look at you guys, we're all self-consumed, okay? There's something about us looking beyond ourselves that we need to be able to do to shepherd other people. We're all born takers, is what I'm saying. And it takes maturity for God to do something in us where we also become givers. The third one is this, tough love. So truth and love, you guys, walk hand in hand together. And I, I didn't break those into two separate things because I think in good friendships, in good shepherding relationships, love is a part of it, but truth walks hand in hand with it. So do you remember that shepherd's crook, the tool that a shepherd uses, you know? where you might kind of nudge the sheep here, might have to grab it around, around the neck at times. You guys, this is where we are both sheep and shepherds. Sometimes God has to do this for me, and sometimes I have to do this for other people. You see a good friend of yours that is in a dating relationship that is just a train wreck, all right? Do you really not love that person enough to be able to have a hard conversation with them and say, I don't think this is good for you? You're like, ah, that's uncomfortable. You know what's more uncomfortable? watching it derail because you didn't want to say the uncomfortable thing. There's a proverb that says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Whew. Let me give you that one again. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. As good shepherds, sometimes we have to redirect. Doesn't mean we know everything, it doesn't mean we're always right, but it does mean that we have to hold truth and love together. Sometimes you lead with truth, sometimes you lead with love, but they're always together. You can't separate the two. They won't be separated that way. And we need that tool in our toolbox if we're gonna be good shepherds to the people around us. There's a, um, well, Levi's here, so I'll embarrass him. Okay, I haven't told this story in a while. There was a, a, a moment that we were hiking together as a family when we had, we had three little ones. Levi was, I don't even know. How old would he have been, Joe? 
four? Okay. okay. So Levi's four years old, and um, we were we were down kind of in the Smoky Mountains um, on a vacation, and I was trying to find. I love to hike, so I was trying to find a trail for us to go on. Okay. And we found one that said it was like, because we got little, I'm taking a stroller on this, so it's not going to be adventurous, okay? So we found one that said it had a nice trail up to a waterfall, and that's the hike that we were on. But here's what we didn't realize, okay, <laughs> is that it was a smooth trail, but there were like steep drop-offs all over the place. And I'm with a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a, and a baby in a stroller, okay, which happened to be Silas. And so... It was not ideal because, you know, you got toddlers just like running every direction and you're like, there's literally signs on some trees being like, careful, falling deaths have occurred here. And it's like, why are we on this trail? Okay, and so there's one moment in particular where um, Levi has his back to the edge of one of these spaces. He's not super close to it, okay, but he's closer than I would like him to be in that moment. So if, if this is the line right here where he's falling to his death and he's got his back to it, I just kind of looked at him and said, hey, Levi, you can't go backwards right now. Okay, just be careful, all right? And he gets this big, stupid smile on his face, all right, and just starts doing this. Because he thinks we're playing a game, all right, at that point. I was not playing a game at that point, okay? But he's just, he's looking straight in the eyes. He's looking me straight in the eyes and just walking backwards to his death with a giant smile on his face, okay? And I didn't have time to yell. I didn't have time to do anything, like, because he was, he was like now by this point one step away from being off the edge. So I just lunged forward and I grabbed his, his I was going, <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I was going for his shirt, okay? And I got his shirt and a little bit of his arm, right? And I just kind of like grabbed and pulled, okay? And it hurt. It hurt a lot. Uh, you can imagine someone grabbing, just like, like pulling your body weight by the little bit of skin on the back of your arm, okay? And he was so mad, you guys. And I couldn't reason with him. He's four. So I can't get down on his level and be like, you don't understand. There was a cliff behind you. And I didn't like, like all of this stuff just doesn't work with a four-year-old. But in that moment, you guys, that's a shepherding, shepherd's crook moment where I'm just grabbing him by the neck and yanking him off the edge. And I'm being like, this is going to, there's no choice but for it to hurt. But it's better than the alternative that's here. That was part of what my job as a dad was in that moment. You guys, that's a part of what your job is as a good friend and a good shepherd sometimes to the people around you. What's the, what's the alternative? What's the opposite? Well, that takes us right back to the beginning where people are objects that you get to use like resources. And if they can't be used, they're obstacles for you to discard, to get over and get past. I want you guys, man, if, like, there's a lot of people in this room. If 50 of you catch this vision and shepherd like there's no tomorrow and you take this seriously, there's revival on campus, you guys. People will, people will be like, who is Jesus? Because all, I see these people who are loving each other so well. You can smell that kind of community from a million miles away. We are already catching that. What does it mean for us to shepherd each other and this campus that same way? Matthew 9, I'm going to close with this. Matthew 9. Um, is a passage that we pray as a staff pretty often. You know why? Because it's, it's this moment with Jesus where he, I'll give you the exact reference. It's uh, Matthew 9, 36 through 38. It says that Jesus saw the crowds, and wh when he saw them, he felt compassion. Why? 
because he says they were like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. Those are Jesus' words. And he tells the disciples, hey, pray, because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so, so pray for more workers for the harvest. You guys, that verse just rings in my head when I look out at campus. Jesus seeing the crowds harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But what do you see? Do you see resources for you to exploit? Do you see obstacles for you to get past? Or do you see people who are made in the image of our creator who he desperately loves and wants his grace to break through in their lives? This is an easy message to preach, you guys, but this is a hard one for us to own and to have your life be inconvenienced this week by loving someone else well. But don't forget, you got it takes time. It takes an awareness of other people. And so that you're not just constantly being taken advantage of in wrong ways, it takes truth and love working together. But I'm praying that we become that. That we look at the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and we follow his example in how we love each other. Bow your heads for just a moment. Thank you, God, that your love for us frees us to love other people this way, that you love us so deeply, God, and that we can catch that vision. Jesus, that you set the example for us. But right now, Holy Spirit, I just ask for names. Would you put names in our brains that need our love, our care, our concern, people who may be attacked, people who feel worn down, people who are wandering off on their own, people who are stuck in the mud, God, and they need us to shepherd God, would you help reveal spaces in our own lives where we're sheep, where we're the ones stuck? We need you, and we need the voices of other people around us, Christ. And I'm so grateful for your example, for your sacrifice, for your love, for your care, for your concern, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to pray to close us out in a sec, but just one thing I want you to hear tonight before we go, because as we sing those words, I just want you singing these out to God. I just want you, nothing else. I, I hear him singing that back to you. I just want you. That whole thing we started with about usefulness, like how tools need to be useful. When it comes to people, you guys, it's okay for us to be useful. When we know that we're deeply loved by the creator of the universe, it frees us to respond with being useful without having to earn anything from him. So we sing those beautiful words to him. I just want you, nothing else. I feel like God sings those same things back to us. I just want you to know that you're loved. The rest of it will flow out of that. The rest of it comes out of that. Obedience comes out of that. You don't earn my love with that stuff. You don't earn my love with your usefulness. It becomes a response to my love. I want you to internalize that before you leave tonight. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that your love allows us the response. Thank you that your love secures in us a kind of usefulness that isn't ugly and distorted and weird and manipulative. And I pray that would be known tonight in this space, God. Thank you for loving us. Help us to return your love and to love others, Jesus. 
And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.